Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. It's 2019, and every year for the past couple of years, we've started out, I've gotten a chance to interview Mike Kottmeyer and talk about what he's thinking about for the coming year. So, Mike, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Dave. Happy to be here, man. Um, and thank, yeah, thank you for taking time away from your time off. Um, I know you've got a lot of things going on, but I'm curious, with the year that's coming up, yeah, and what... What are you focused on? And before you answer the question, I want to just kind of couch a little bit. So you're somebody okay. I see as always ahead of the curve, a few steps ahead of a lot of other people. There's all the folks that listen to the podcast and there's a new year starting, you know, what should they be focused yeah. on? So what do you see changing and evolving? And like, where are you spending your time studying how organizations are either using Agile or extending beyond it? Yeah, right. So... Okay, so so let's so that's a big question to start off our conversation with. So let's let's, let's well, I want to give you as to, many yeah. options as possible. No, no, it's cool, right? <laughs> so it's like you know, so so for years I've been thinking about the idea of when is this agile thing going to run its course? Yeah, right. Um, and just as kind of a total aside, you know, I've got probably four hundred different blogs that I follow. And if you look at the amount of agile content that is that is coming through those blogs, yeah, um, it's not a lot, right? There's there's not a lot of stuff that people are saying. And and one of the things I've been questions I've been asking internally is where has the conversation gone? So what are they right? talking because, about? Well, people are well well it, it, that's actually kind of well like so I've got agile blogs, I've got marketing blogs, I've got other things, right? So the ones that are still blogging are still blogging about marketing or technology or whatever. Right. But there's just like the people that were blogging a couple of years ago about agile, um, aren't really writing about agile anymore. And, and the reason why, and, and I'm one of them really, right. As our company, we blog a lot, but as for me personally, it's, it's kind of like everything's been said, you know, it's like, it's like how much more can you talk about how to write a good user story? How much more can you talk about the anatomy of a daily standup meeting? Yeah. You know, Esther Derby and Diana Larson wrote the book on retrospectives, right? I mean, it's just, it's kind of like a lot of it's just been said. It's not like there's, there's anything, it's not like there's not things to learn, but, but, you know, Scrum's pretty well understood. Safe is pretty well understood, right? So I think, I don't think. Or, or if people are new to it, they, they can find the information. Like people are yeah, still asking about daily there. scrums, but it's out there. It's available. Yeah, it's okay. out there, right? And so, but as a blogger, right, as a, as a thought leader, or as, even as a company, it's like, you just don't feel like you have to rehash that, that stuff, yep. right? So, but put that in the context of where are things going? You know, it's like, I asked myself this question. It's like, it's like, how long is Agile going to be around? And, and I think Agile is going to be around forever in some form or fashion, right? Because the principles of iterative and incremental development don't go away. Okay. The principles of, of team-based delivery, the principles of, you know, measurable progress every sprint, right? I don't think that stuff's going to go away. So, so you asked me, like, like, where have I seen the market going and the industry going for the last couple of years is, is the conversation for me, and this isn't going to surprise any of our regular listeners or readers, is that the conversations around transformation. Right. Okay. And it's like, how do you get an organization to adopt Agile? Right. Um, but more fundamentally, how do you get the organization to become the kind of organization that can 
take advantage of agile practices. So as, as you and I have, have talked over the last year or so, you and I talk about teams, backlogs, work, and test of software. I've talked about the four quadrants. We've introduced in the market the idea of base camps and expeditions as really a way of helping people understand not just what the practices look like when you get there, but what do the intermediate transformative states look like? Right. You know, what does it look like when you just get started and you still have stuff to deliver versus what does it look like in six months or a year or a year and a half or two years? Or what does it look like when the whole organization is really going? Right. And because I think we have a, we have a bad habit in the agile community of, of painting a very clear picture of what it looks like when you're done. But it's like it's really messy getting there. Well, or or targeting okay. one thing like there's all the there was the culture thing, there's the safety thing, there's the productization thing. Like that's yeah, the answer. Absolutely. That one thing will fix the whole world. Yeah, and, and in reality, right? It's it's a combination of the organizational ecosystem, right? How it forms teams, how technology is encapsulated, how you how you do governance, how you do metrics, how you do controls, how you do what's your culture look like, what is the safety in your it's it's just on and on and on and on, right? Right. And so like where where our practice has been going and what we've been thinking about and what I think will will kind of carry into 2019 and beyond is this idea of not only like how do you orchestrate a transformation, but how do you fundamentally do the change management around the transformation? And how do you create safety for everybody along the way? And so that's not like a new going into 2018 thing, but but it's- It's a shift I in focus. Gonna, well, for me, it, yeah, for us, it's, a, it's, a, it's an absolute shift in focus because what we have to get past is this idea is we can just teach people how to do these practices yeah. and that it's, that it's, gonna, it's gonna happen. What, what's, what, what has to happen, um, one of the metaphors I've been using in my talks a lot lately is, um, uh, and this is going to be one of our classic, uh, you know, going down the rabbit hole things. So you can talk about food? Dance, right? Well, you know, we are going to talk <laughs> about food. But, um, you know, I actually have permission from my wife to tell this story, but my wife hates to cook. And, um, and we use a service called Home Chef that basically delivers like a box of food, right? Yeah. And it delivers this box of food. But it also delivers like detailed instructions about like how to prepare all the different things. Okay. Okay. So it's like we always thought my wife hated to cook. But what we realized is that my wife hated to take to make the decisions about what she needed to do or to to take the initiative to prepare it because she was afraid she was going to get it wrong. And so one of the things that I think is really interesting about this whole delivered, you know, meal kit thing is that what it does is it takes a lot of the risk out of preparing a meal, right? So, so from my wife's point of view, you know, she can sit down with, with my son and say, hey, what do you want to eat? She gets a box of stuff, has everything she needs. She's able to prepare it according to the instructions. And every single time, there's a great meal, okay. right? Because she's, they've taken the uncertainty out of it. And, and if you think about it, the way we've kind of asked people to adopt Agile is like learn the practices and then like fail and fail and fail and fail and fail and fail and fail or underperform, 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 underperform. And then over time, you'll figure it out. Yeah. And, and you'll, you'll get it. Well, well, I don't, I don't think we can keep doing that in the industry. So, so it's like, it's, it's kind of ironic, but it's like, we need a bit of a script in order to be able to help organizations through these transformations. Okay. And so, it's so like where where it started with us um, was the idea of the quadrants, right? That kind of started yeah. it. And then we started talking about base camps, 
okay, which were these states like we know we need to stabilize the system. We need to reduce batch size. We need to start to um, decouple the teams. We need to be able to increase local autonomy. We need to invest to learn it. So those are like our base camps. But then what we realize is underneath that, there's a, there's a, a set of standard outcomes <clears throat> that are pretty universal. Like we have to be able to have teams that can, that can stabilize velocity. Or we have to be able to produce a rolling backlog. So you need to to, establish the building blocks. Yeah, and so that's what's starting to happen. So you can start to take these five major steps, base camps one through five, break them down into eight to 12 um, intermediate steps, outcomes. And then like all of the stuff up underneath that is the things that coaches do, right? So we're training teams and teaching people how to do story points or break down user stories and estimate or what, what have you, right? Yeah. And so, but like all of it being focused on getting a very specific outcome. And and what's, what's really kind of interesting is that when, you know, we've done this enough with enough really large organizations to where there's we're starting to see consistency, across these organizations, how you're going to get there, right? The combination of ingredients that you put together for any given client is going to be really different, but the outcomes that you need to achieve are very similar okay. across organizations. And so, and so making sure that the coaches that are on the ground are focusing their activities at getting a very specific set of outcomes has kind of become the basis of our consulting practice. So regardless okay. of what they start with, we're trying to get them to a place where they can actually begin to realize some of the promises of these ways of working. Yeah. Well, so it's kind of interesting, right? So like, let's think of like a really simple example. And we still have to remember, we have to pull all this rabbit hole back up to the, the yep. original question that you asked me, right? But it's like, but like, think about like a really simple thing, right? You have a team that you want to do scrum. Right. Yeah. And so and so at the at the end of the day, whether they do a daily stand up meeting or not do a daily stand up meeting or they do a retrospective or not, or they have a scrum master or not, or they have a product owner or not. Right. Those are not necessarily leading indicators of success. Right. Right. One of the one of the outcomes that we need from a team within the first three to four sprints is we they need to be able to produce a stable velocity. Okay. Okay. And basically, and so if, if, if for anybody who doesn't maybe like the word velocity, it's not in vogue anymore, is they have to have a steady throughput, right? They have to have a stable production capacity. They have to be able to kind of call their shots as they go, Yeah. right? And, and so the outcome is um, the team has to have steady throughput. Okay. Okay, stable velocity. So that's the outcome. And we want to have that outcome within the first, let's say, eight weeks, Okay. Of the engagement. Okay, so now how do we get to uh, a steady velocity? Well, it helps to have a team that stays together. Not necessarily required, but it helps to have a team that stays together. It helps to have a clearly articulated backlog. It helps to, um, you know, for the team to swarm around things through the course of a sprint. Right. There's all kinds of techniques for breaking down user stories and estimating and, um, you know, whether you want to use story points or T-shirt sizes or what have you. Right. All of that stuff is like there's like a there's like a, a wealth of techniques that you can that you can teach any given team. But the outcome that we want is stable velocity. But So, wait, I want to buy an argument. Can I do that? Okay, yeah, buy an argument. All yeah, right. sure. So, yes, all these things. I can go in there as a coach and I can be like, this is how we're going to do all this stuff. And I can get them all doing it. I get them stable. Mm-hmm. And the second I walk out the door, 
It all goes back to what it was before. Well, so, well, so that's, that's a different topic, right? So that's a different topic. That's more of an organizational change management topic. Okay. Okay, rather than like a how do I get a team to stabilize topic. Yeah. Because I will tell you, right, if you go into pretty much any organization and you create the conditions for a team to stabilize their velocity, right, right create a cr- complete cross-functional team with few dependencies operating off of a clearly articulated backlog, you know, that they're able to size using story points or something. They're running the cadences. They have a scrum master. They're able to produce a working test in increment. They do reviews. They do retrospectives. If you instantiate that and you get it working, right, it, it's like somebody has to disrupt that in order for that to go away. Okay. Right? What I, what I think happens more in practice is that you don't have all that stuff, but people are going through the motions of doing scrum. Yeah. And then when the, the motions of Scrum don't work and you walk away, right? If the organization's not getting value out of it, then they're not going to do well, it. Or the team is right? doing it, but the pressure's coming down from above. Well, the only reason the pressure's coming down from above is if the teams can't make any commitments. If the key teams can't deliver what they say they're going to. The reason why Scrum gets disrupted all the time is because the promise of Scrum is just go and start doing Scrum and the magic will happen. Okay. Right. The team will inspect and adapt its way into success. And there's, and I mean, I think people that are listening to this will recognize. I'm not saying that never happens, but there are a lot of instances where there are teams that are doing Scrum. Yeah. And they have no idea the size. There's of their other backlog. pieces no that are the velocity. missing. Yeah. Or, yeah, or the promise is made for them and pushed down on them. <clears throat> yeah. Well, so so here is the challenge, right? And so this will again, this will this will kind of tie back up, right? Um, is that is that. Just teaching people the practices is insufficient, right? Talking with them about how to change is insufficient, right? So what we're starting to see, especially in larger, more complex organizations, is that we almost need a recipe, like what are the series of outcomes in intermediate states, whether it be at the base camp level or the the lower level outcomes, right? right? Give, Give the coaching team or whoever's on the ground a ton of latitude about how to get there, right? I'm not trying to be prescriptive about how they get there. I'm not trying to be prescriptive about um, what are the specific things you teach any given team, right? That's all over the place. But the outcome of being able to stabilize velocity, making me commitments, yeah. right? That's rather universal. Okay. Okay. And so when, when you start to scale that up to super large organizations, right, what you start to see is that it's the change management aspect of it that is that is the most important. And so at Agile 2018, you know, we did this, uh, I did the latest rev of my transformation talk, and we kind of broke it into four major categories. The why are you transforming? The what are you transforming? The how are you transforming? And who is necessary to transform? Right. And then up underneath that, it was like business case. Let me see if I can remember it all. Business case, um, transformation hypothesis, theory and approach, reference architecture, um, it was change management. It was results management. It was skills and experiences, roles and responsibilities. Those were the eight categories. And, and what was, what was interesting about it, right. Is we were kind of going through this is that, is that we kind of took a step back and we're like, well, this is a conceptual framework really around how to change anything. Okay. Okay. And so it's, so where, where, where we're pushing in 2019, and I'm sure we'll be on this message for a while, is, is how, how do you explicitly manage change and how do you explicitly create safety in the organization 
so that they can make these strategic moves without stubbing their toe all the time. Okay. Right? I mean, we get so focused on empowering the team to decide that we lose sight that there's these massive organizational shifts that are trying to happen. Yeah. And it's like that we have to we have to make some of these moves in a more orchestrated way than we have in the past. Can you can you give an example of one of that? Because I'm. <clears throat> well, okay. Give an example of like what, like one a, of the, like a larger. Yeah, one of the larger shifts that has to happen. Well, well, like to go from you know to go from functional silos. Okay. To a team based enterprise, right? So think about what's involved in that, right? So so first of all, you have. You have all of these people that are organized by what they do rather than what they produce. Okay, so you have a team of project managers, a team of BAs, a team of um, developers, and a not, team of and not just a team of whatever. Org, on an org chart, <clears throat> but mentally organized that way as well. Yeah, mentally organized that way too, right? Yeah, absolutely, right? And so now we have a poorly architected system. Okay, so so we don't have encapsulated services and we don't have encapsulated products. There's, there's dependencies between everything, right? Right. The way that projects are governed, right. With the work is basically flowing through the entire system in an incredibly indeterminate way. Right. So we take six or seven of those random people that are spread across multiple teams operating across an incongruent architecture, doing project work rather than product work. Right. And we say, now go do scrum. Yeah. Right. And it's awesome. It's not, it's not going to work. <laughs> right. Well, the hypothesis is the hypothesis is that if they do scrum, they'll start to systematically start to remove their impediments. Yeah. Well, they'll at least notice and, the impediments or, well, yeah. Right. And so, but the problem becomes that a lot of the impediments are beyond their control. Yes. Right. And so, so when we talk about change management, it's, it's not really about how do you change management to go from waterfall to scrum, but it's like, how do you change manage to go from a monolithic architecture to services oriented in the cloud with maybe some DevOps, continuous integration, continuous deployment, right? That kind of stuff, right? How do you orchestrate the change of that while you're in the process of reteaming, while you're in the process of changing the governance, while you're in the process of changing the metrics and controls, and the right? culture and the way the leadership yeah. thinks and, yeah, and the all culture, the culture, the way the leadership thinks. Yeah. And so, and so the change management around all that stuff, it's like just starting to do scrum. Again, I just, I'm like a broken record here, but just starting to do scrum is insufficient. So you have to have an in-state vision. You have to start to articulate a plan and a roadmap for how you're going to start achieving these intermediate states. You got to start getting buy-in. You got to start increasing safety in the system. You have to start being able to measure whether the changes that you're actually making are producing the outcomes and the business um, results that you want. Okay. And, and uh, yeah, and it's just, and it's like, and it's crazy, right? The level that we're having to, I don't know, I say build internal guidance or, you know, create specificity around this. Yeah. It's like things that a lot of us do intuitively are are not necessarily intuitive to the people that are adopting this stuff. And then on top of it, when it creates further complexity when you're trying to do it at scale and not everybody's on the same page even within a single organization. All right. I have a big okay. question now. Shoot. Okay. I, this is different than the, we prepped for the people that are listening. We prepped a question. And I'm not going to ask a yeah. different one. Okay. You okay. talked about when Kimmy orders the food, it's the decision making she doesn't like. And yeah. we all know that yeah. people get decision fatigue throughout the course of the day. Yeah. Yeah. All those things you just talked about, 
to me, yeah. I can see where an organization could only manage, only has the stamina or the capacity to to have so many cha- so much change at once. Because it's almost like you're saying, yeah. I want you to quit smoking, become a vegan, learn how to be a brain surgeon, a painter, and yeah, ride yeah. horses all at once. Yeah, that's too much. Yeah. So how do you teach them the stamina? I mean, you, for us, we're used to that constant state of flux. Well, so you, you don't you don't increase the stamina, right? You orchestrate the change, and so okay. so like in any non-trivially sized organization that we're working in, we break the expedition up into something called an or excuse me, we break the organization up into something called an expedition, okay. right? Which is a subset of the organization, right? So you tackle a piece of the organization, okay, and then you bring it into a intermediate, less threatening state. Right. So, so like one of the, again, like one of the challenges is that, you know, you get somebody in your organization and they want everybody to be a lean startup. Yeah. Well, if you're dealing with a large mainframe system that's doing, um, you know, billions of transactions a day and it has to be accurate to the penny and can't interfere with its brand in the market. And yeah, <laughs> all of that, right. Yeah. You can't ever be broken. Right. Yeah. Um, then you can't do it's lean like startup. teaching people teaching people to do lean startup isn't going to solve that problem, right, right? Right. And so, but they might need to be a lean startup. Okay. But Mike, they need to be a lean startup. They need to be a competitive market. They need it. And I'm like, I agree with you. But the conditions to do lean startup in that enterprise don't exist. So what can we do? We can do team based. We can do iterative and incremental delivery. We can start to do portfolio governance in smaller batches. So what you can start to do is you can start to define what intermediate states look like. Okay. And it, it, so uh, so we'll tie it back to running, right? We always love to go back to running the marathons, right? I was going to go the, back to food. And then okay. we're going to go, we're going to go to Brazilian <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu. So I've been saving that one. I'm working I, on that I, one too. I almost, I almost hit it. I almost hit it through the last thing. I, I, so just for our listeners, like I've started taking Brazilian <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu. And so it's like all I'm thinking about right now. So, um, yeah. So what's up for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in 2019? I'm a novice. <laughs> I have no idea. But, um, no, but the um, you know, but the idea is is that is that there's a series of intermediate states, right? And so if you go from the couch and you want to become a marathon runner, yeah, right, you don't look like a marathon runner on day one, right? But that doesn't mean that you that you don't start moving, right? And so you do the work necessary to run a 5K, and then you do the work necessary to run a 10K, <clears throat> and then you do the work necessary to run. A half marathon. So you're and always creating marathon, the conditions to get to the next step. Yeah. Well, at the half marathon, um, it the, the game changes. Like going from a half marathon to a full marathon, you're having to like you're having to think about things you didn't have to think about when you were running a 5K. You have to think about hydration and nutrition, right? Just the game fundamentally changes yeah. on you. Um, before we get to the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu <laughs> stuff, like I'll tell you. Like I'll give you a for example. Yeah, wait, like been, wait. What about your toenails falling off? We got to do that too. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, right. So you got to know where your toenails are going to fall off, right? And you got to be able to deal with all that stuff, right? So, but like I've been, like I've been over the last couple months trying to kind of reorient myself and um, and get myself healthy a little bit, and um, you know, in the process, it's it's interesting, right? So in the process, what I'm learning is like kind of all the things that are kind of broken in me. Like, so I want to do Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I wanted uh, to get back into marathon running and I want to get back into these things. But in order to do that, you know, I need to drop some weight. I need to like, I need to get more limber than I am right now. I need to develop strength. I need to do all these things. Right. So like, I can't go and start competing in jiu-jitsu competitions right now. Like I would get totally broken. 
but it's like, but it's not to say that I can't practice. It's not to say that I can't start learning. It's not to say that I can't start moving in that direction. But the goals that I have for myself in the next three months are not go operate like this master jujitsu guy, right? My goals right now are start to go through the motions and start to improve the systems in my body so that I can more effectively compete. Okay. And like one like little example is like, it's like I started like lifting again and it's like, I'm, what I'm realizing is that I started lifting like all the little muscles in my body need attention. So, so even as I get into this training routine, what I start to realize is that like, it's like, as I get into the training routine, it's starting to reveal other things that I need to be attentive to. So what is the outcome with the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu? Well, so what I was going to tell you about, so what's really fascinating is that, so I do some public classes, I do some private classes and my, my coach will give a little shout out to Sean Coleman. Who's, who's absolutely not listening to this uh, podcast, I guarantee, but, um, who is Sean Coleman? uh, He's your coach. He's, he's my coach at at straight flash gym in in Buford, Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so like one of the things that we're talking about, the strategies of jujitsu, Right. And so like a big, like a big part. And so if anybody's like a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy, I'm probably gonna like reveal like how little I know. I'm only like six weeks into this. But what is like really fascinating is that there's like, there's like different states you need to get to. So like you want to get somebody into an arm bar and you want to submit them. Right. But you start off and you're in a guard and then you got to move to a half guard and then you got to move to a side mount. Then you got to move to a top, top mount. And then you got to do this. Right. So there's this whole series of objectives yeah. that you've got to go through. Yeah. Right. That really don't have anything to do with jujitsu moves. Right. You've got a so you've got like a series of like five different objectives. And then you've got a series of like moves that you can do. Right. And then you've got like all the stuff up underneath because the person on the ground is like is like basically wrestling you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so and so you know, what, what, what's the, what's the challenges? It's like, it's like, how do you stay focused on the outcome when doing the work on a day-to-day basis is, is really messy? Okay. And so, and so like what's helped me with, as I start to go into this jujitsu stuff is start to think about, okay, there's basically five steps in the progression before I can get somebody into an armbar. Okay. And I've got to methodically move through those. I just can't, if you just taught me an armbar, Right. Okay. This is how you tap somebody out. Right. You can't do it on day. You can't do it at that minute. Okay. Right. It's like you've got to walk through the progressions. And then there's five or six different ways, or a thousand probably, ways of moving through each of the progressions. And then there's individual technique up underneath that. And it's like, and so like in the agile community, what we're teaching people is okay, this is how you do an arm bar. This is how you do a submission hold. Yeah. This is how you do this. Right. But the steps necessary to get that person into a position where they can be submitted, right? It's fascinating. And but, I'll tell you something hold, else too. Go, go ahead. I, I'm still stuck on the, yeah. um, you know, why do they want Agile in the first place? Why do you want Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Like, what is it going to do for you? Well, or, so, or, or, wait one second. Is it okay, okay to say, hey, this looks cool. I want to go try it. And I'm going to learn these steps so I can create the conditions <clears> to get better at it. And I'm going to figure out what the outcome is later on when I learn more about it. Is that an okay place well, to Well, say? it depends. Okay, so okay, so let's see if we can wind this, right? So this is kind of it's a weird question away for me the way you asked it. So like what my goal with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is is just to get healthy. Okay. Right? right. So that's your and outcome. and so like but let's say my 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 goal was to be a black belt. 
Okay. And to be able to compete at the highest dominate level. MMA because because I was I was going to decide to make my living being a jujitsu black belt. Okay. Okay. Compete professionally. Yeah. Right. So it depends on what your goal is, right? So if I just want to just try Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I have like no intention of ever making a living at it or being effective at it, well then sure, just try Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah. But it's not going to make me great at Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Well, in right? the same way and that so, doing Agile is not going to make a company great at doing Agile, but it will give them some well, other business not, right? benefit. Yeah. Well, so there's tons of things you can try if, 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 if you're just doing it as a hobby or you're just doing it. So like the conversation that, that we're trying to have is like how do you get these large organizations to move to a place where they get better business outcomes? Yeah. And this is what I think the agile community, and this is why I think it's it, that we are at risk, is we have a belief that says if I do Scrum or if I do Safe, then I will happens. get better business outcomes. Right. I will get right? faster. I will get happier. I will get cheaper. But the vast, but the vast majority of those people that do those things, yeah, don't get the outcomes, and they don't want to do the work to get the steps in place well, to, it's, uh, to well, get so, there. So let's, okay, so we're going to like totally mix all our metaphors. That's okay. So, we do that every so time. My, so my <laughs> wife wants to feed our kids. Right. Right? She wants to. Yeah. But but it's like she's, you know, I'm, I'm just going to shorthand it. She's scared of cooking for a thousand different reasons. Okay? Yeah. So it's like, it's like the organization wants to do Agile. They want to operate with agility. The question becomes is how do they get there? Yeah. Like, how do they get there? And, and, and I, and I will suggest that the vast majority of like what I hear coming out of the agile community is all about what does it taste like? What ingredients did it have in it? What does it look like when it's yeah. done? Yeah. Like, what's the process for shopping? What's the process for selection? What's the process for preparation? What's the process for cooking? What does it look like as it's cooking? Yeah. What should it, what, sh- what should it, the conditions that we need to create look like every step of the way? And, and that's the thing, that's the thing that I think, and this is, you know, again, tying it back up to your top line, like, like one of the, the, the challenges that I had in, as I've started to learn jujitsu is it's like, it's like I was getting hung up on the technique of doing a particular move. Right. And it is, I'll tell you, this is the most humbling thing when you're at the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu gym at 6 a.m. and there's some guy there that can basically do to you whatever he wants to do <laughs> and you have no power to stop him, right? Just not – like I can't do anything, right? Well, and I know – I probably know 15 different things that I could possibly do, right? But I, but I get tapped out every time. Yeah. Okay. Well, be, and, and so the challenge becomes, right, is how do you, how do you begin to start to create the conditions where that doesn't happen? Teaching me judo moves over and over again is not necessarily going to solve that problem. I have to work on strength. I have to work on flexibility. I have to work on understanding my objectives. I have to work on understanding my goals. And it's going to be messy as I get there some. But it's like just knowing a bunch of Brazilian jiu-jitsu moves doesn't actually solve the problem for me. And, and so where we're going with this, where I think if Agile is going to survive as a thing, then I think we have to become as a community much more intentional about respecting where people are today and then helping them iteratively and incrementally get to where they need to go in the future. 
So one thing I want you to do, if you wouldn't mind, is 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 um, is put a link at least. I'm not sure what we have on video, but put at least a link to the white paper that I wrote yep. for Agile 2018. Yep. Um, and 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 where I talk about this, but it's like it's like it's the we we often become such purists about what Agile is supposed to be that we forget that it's a process for getting them there. Okay. It's like teaching that 300 guy pound guy on the couch proper running form. And what does it look like to be a competitive marathon runner when, when, when they're just having problems getting off the couch? Yeah. You ever, okay. Now, I just oh, want to okay, point yeah. out that you brought up the marathon runner twice. No, I no, I got it. I'm going to go, I'm going to go deeper down this rabbit hole. So, so I have all my kids in town over the holidays and I'm telling you the show 600 pound life has been on TV in my house. Probably half the time my kids have been home. And this is like these, you people could take them to six, see Aquaman. This yeah, so we haven't seen Aquaman <laughs> in our house. No, like my my family is so burnt on the DC universe, like they don't even want to see it. They're like, we'll watch it when it comes on video. So, and I keep saying it's good. Everybody tells me it's good, it's, and like they want to see it. It's wonderfully stupid. But like, so six hundred pound life, right? Like they have to lose hundred and fifty pounds before it's even safe for them to have that laparoscopic surgery. Okay. Right. There's work to do even before the surgery, and then they have to have the surgery. And then they have to manage their food and diet after the surgery. Yeah. And then they have all this like loose skin and then they got to have that surgically removed and on and on and on. Right. They're not dealing with running form. Yeah. Is the goal to be healthy? Is the goal to be a marathon runner? Is the goal to whatever? Can't they just try? Sure. But there are systematic barriers to their life. And in this case, in the extreme. And so, and so, you know, a lot of these organizations, it's like they want to do Agile, but they need a process for becoming Agile. They need a process for getting there. And there, and that process is starting to look a lot like, you know, general change management. One of the things that we've been talking about, we've been distinguishing a lot as we talk about this, is the idea of a system of delivery versus a system of transformation. And it's like, we're really good. Like Scrum is a system of delivery. It is a system of delivery for a team of six to eight people it's a tool. to produce some, yeah. to something of value every two weeks. Yeah. It's a system of delivery. Safe is a system of delivery for a organization less than 150 people to produce something of value every six weeks or so. Right. Right. It's a system of delivery. The system of transformation is about how do I go from my current state into the future state. Yeah. What needs to happen? And what do those intermediate states look like? I'm that 600-pound person sitting on the couch. I know I want to be a marathon runner, but how do I know I'm making progress every day by, um, you know, what do I need to do? What should I look like in three months? What should I look like in six months? What should I look like in nine or 12? What should my physical attributes be to where I know that I'm measuring progress? Yeah. And so, and so that is the challenge in, and I'm telling you where I get, and this is where I wonder like how many legs, like where has the agile community gone? Because in a lot of ways, I think it's getting absorbed into some of these other communities because people want agility, but I don't, I think people are tired of talking about scrum. I think they're tired. Like you said, they've kind of answered a lot of the questions and until there is some new flashy thing that gets them all revved up, I think they're kind of, they need a different topic from it. I want to, I want to point something out that 
Okay. I've been kind of like hung up on for the past couple of minutes. So we're talking about systems of transformation. We're talking about mm-hmm. people being, you know, creating safety and being open to change and stuff like that. And the thing that's been stuck in my head since you started talking <clears throat> about jujitsu in this call was <laughs> – this yeah. is a place where you, and you said in the beginning, like, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. Like, you've put yourself yeah. into a position where you're a total no- noob. And yeah. eight months, a year from now, you'd listen to this and you'd be like, oh, Jesus, what did I say? So yeah. you put yourself in a position of vulnerability. You put yourself in a yeah. position where you're not an expert, which is the opposite of everything else in your life, yeah. at least work-related. Yeah, And it's I think that, um, that that is a really important thing. You said you wanted to take a step back, you know, kind of take a, a breath and yeah. – catch yourself for leadership in any organization, especially if they want agile. I think if you cannot find a place where you're the idiot in the room, it's going to be harder for you to relate to what's going on around you. Here's the difference. Jiu-Jitsu is non-critical for me. Okay. Like I can walk in with all humility and just go, I know nothing. Like just, just don't kill me. Yeah. But still you got to look at the one guy and be like, seriously, dude, you think you're going to bring that over here? Like, come on. No, I'll take you. It's it's not the same, right? Cause (laughs) like, cause like if I drop jujitsu tomorrow, no impact whatsoever. Right. It would be a little bit. But it's gotta be humbling to be the the guy that doesn't know. Well, it is. Well, but my point was being is that maybe I was making an inference that was inappropriate, but you're basically saying, why can't these executives go to a place with a learner's mind? And and humble themselves to start adopting ads. No, 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 no. That's not what I was saying. Oh, okay. I wasn't so saying I, like, that. Totally. Took I don't. I don't think that you should okay. do that at work. I think that there's okay. just two things. One, I think all okay. of us need to have something that we're working on where we don't know what we're doing, because it keeps us open to the possibility of change. And I think that like if if I started to do Brazilian Brazilian Jiu Jitsu or some other martial art, there's somewhere yeah. I would have an. I, like I know I want to get to this particular place, but if it's physical fitness, you know, your goal for that, your outcome that you're looking for might change down the road. And that's cool because I think part of any kind of transformation also is we think we want this, but the more we learn, we realize, well, maybe it should be something else. Yeah. But so even within me, right, like I, I get up and I've got a 6 a.m. 6 class and like every morning on the way there, I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't right. Do this. But you go anyway. Do I don't want to do this. But I'm doing it, right? I'm doing it and I'm going in and you know, I'm humbling myself and, and having a learner's mind and I'm connecting these dots. But it's like, it's like as an entrepreneur, as a change agent, as an agilist, right? It's all these different things that I am. Um, I'm kind of wired for that a little bit. Right. And, and, and even though, and I'm like, and I'm in my wife, my wife echoed something back to me. I say a lot, it's like do hard stuff for no reason. Yeah. You know, but I'm at a place in my life where, where leading agile is doing well. I've got the ability to step back. I've got, I don't have like crushing cognitive load. Right. I'm, I'm like in a good place. And so I'm taking this opportunity to kind of retool myself. Yeah, okay. but a lot of people and, don't do that. They yeah. just coast. Well, and I think that's the well, thing they I was trying right? to point out. It's important to have that. No, it's definitely important. But just – but but yeah. And so so as a practice, right, I think that would be a good thing for leaders to do, to step back, create some space, put themselves in a position where they're a beginner again so they can start, right? Yeah. Absolutely. That's a general – that's a great general thing. I think the reason why I made that jump in our conversation was because like a lot of times I hear people say things like, well, leaders in 
an organization should approach it with a beginner's mind or they should be open to change or they should, you know, be humble or like whatever. Well, we should, none of us and, should eat sugar or speed when we drive. Well, I mean, it's just a, it's a different, it's a different game, right? Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm, you know, I'm one of the, one of the parts of my journey is, is that I'm trying to, you know, we've built this great leadership team at leading agile and, you know, it's a foundation to scale and all these different things, but like, but like, you know, we're over a hundred people now and like, I don't manage everything. And it's scary as hell, right? Because this is the livelihood, yeah. right? This is our livelihood. It's our collective livelihood, but it's specifically mine and my family's livelihood, right? So, so asking people to take that kind of risk and to be that vulnerable when, when not only their lives, but their spouse and their kids and everything, it's everything's on the line, yeah. right? That's, that's really scary stuff, right? And you got you to gotta have the capacity and the desire to practice it. I think the practice is it's the hard, thing. Right? Like, yeah, but it's like, you know, you going to practice every morning or me meditating every morning. It's it's the, the ritual and the habit of putting yourself into this thing where it's going to be whatever it is, but I'm going to show up and do it. Do you meditate every morning? Every single morning. Yep. Do you really? I started meditating 20 minutes a day too. Yep. That's another it's, one I think. That I and that took to get, I mean, I do it a half an hour every morning, but that took a yeah. long time. In the beginning, it was like three minutes, five minutes. Like, yeah. it's not easy. Well, so on our next podcast, we'll explore the intricacies of meditation and very cool. agile and agile transformations. So, all right. So, yeah. so let's try to, I'm going to try to okay. bring you back. So okay. what should people, or what, what would you recommend that people start to pay more attention to? Is it change management in general? Is it studying organizational change? Is it jujitsu? You know, um, you know, I, I think about it's not just, it just took me a second. I was thinking <laughs> about your question and then you do that and it kind of took, took me off for a second. Um, you know, I think about like back in the day and, and I, and I'm, and I'm thinking about like, and I'm, and I might get some of the details here mixed up, but back in the day, um, you know, it was a Bob Martin's company it was called object mentor. Okay. Right. And it was because back when that company was created, like object orientation was kind of like a thing. Yeah. It was like a, it was like a new way of doing things. Yeah. Right. And so he's mentoring people on how to code using objects and, and hopefully Bob is listening to this, but I'm not totally wrong. Right. So I, I, I that's would be what I would speculate around how Bob Martin's company came to be named that. Right. But people aren't talking about that nowadays. Right. Because that's just the way things are. Yeah. Done. My wife was telling me right? kids are learning it in school now. Well, well, right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And so, and so, what, what I think's going to happen, right? What I think's going to happen is that the principles and the practices of agile aren't going to go away. They're going to get sucked into the DevOps story. That's where we see a lot of the agile conversation happening now. Okay. Or in the digital transformation story, okay. right? That'll happen there because those kinds of initiatives require agility but uh, but agile isn't a first order concern. Okay. Right? Teaching people Scrum isn't a first order concern. People, for the most part, know Scrum. But what I will tell you, and this is why I think it's important, is that to do DevOps, you need the same organizational principles in place that get away that get in the way of adopting Scrum. Yeah. To do digital transformation. You run into the same problems that you run into when you're trying to adopt Scrum. So the fundamental problems aren't going to go away, but the the context in which we have the conversation yeah. is is it's starting to change. And 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 I don't know that it's like 
you know, again, right. I just don't know if the conversations changed or maybe it's the blogosphere or maybe it's what, maybe I'm just not paying as much attention since I'm more of a CEO than an on the ground consultant anymore. But it's like, it's like, it's like, there is a, there, there's still a healthy conversation going on, but, but I, I think that the conversation is, is just moving into other areas. Yeah. I, I see, Maybe I see the, the change, the change thing yeah. is definitely happening. It's moving away from mechanics of agile into organizational change management and things like that. Yeah. And, and what I, what I wonder, right. And, you know, what I wonder is, is, is do we really understand um, the characteristics of an organization that lead to agility? And do we understand encapsulation of technology and forming teams with few dependencies? And do we understand how to do appropriate governance around those teams? And do we understand how to measure and control, but yet still be responsible to Wall Street, right? And all these different things. I, like, like, I don't know that there's like a theory around that. Well, I, I hope not, because right. if the collective universal we did, then we'd all be out of jobs. Well, well, yeah, right. Well, so it's inevitable, though, right? It's inevitable. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so I'll say, I, I, I met a guy that ran a weight loss clinic at one point in time, and I was like, I was like, dude, I said, I said, I mean, people understand how to lose weight, right? You eat less calories and you burn, and you exercise, you diet, all this stuff. And he goes, like, he goes, yeah, right. But there's always going to be people that need the impetus to change. There's always yeah. going to be people that that are that are going to need help. Well, people right? that need trainers in gyms. Yeah, you know. Well, well, you know, again, I think I tell, I've told this price story a long time, um, a while ago. It's like, you know, I've seen a lot of organizations that get built up around just basic human dysfunction. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's always going to be basic human dysfunction. I think people as human beings, a lot of us are, are not systems thinkers, right? We're, we're local optimizers. And when you've got a preponderance of the organization that is locally optimizing, you're not going to get systems that that flow. Yeah. And so I think there's always going to be a space for for some sort of like like organizational design, organizational psychology, like some sort of like like re like continuing to reinforce the hypotheses of what well, uh, an organization is built for agility. The space between thought and action is pretty vast sometimes. Well, well, so, you know, again, right, you know, it's, so, it's, so this is a total, gosh, I mean, we're going all over the place here, but I've been, we've been, you know, leading agile doing a whole lot of stuff with like personality analysis over the last three or four years. Um, Rachel Howard, our chief cultural officer has been leading that charge and we have just tons of profile data on, on people. And, um, I've been using a lot of the profiling on me. I've used it with my wife. We just, I, there's a, a, a tool that I just got turned on to, uh, last week that I asked our leadership team to do and understanding how different humans behave relative to each other, right? It's hard in a marriage. It's hard on a small team. It's incredibly difficult at scale. Yeah. You know, you have all these people that are really smart with really strong opinions and some of them are extroverts and some of them are introverts and some of them tend to be more emotional. Some of them tend to be more logic based. Right. Some of them tend to be more fact based. Some of them tend to be more feelings based. Right. And you have like all these different things. Right. And only the um, the most driven are going to see that argument at the end. Like so many of us just tap out before we even get there. Yeah, you get tired. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you just get tired of the argument. You just say, fine, I'll just do my job that's sitting right in front of me. Yeah. And you get enough people that just don't care and they're just doing their job sitting right in front of them. 
and and organizations break. Yeah, um, I'll tell you, man. It's like as even as we've grown, you know, leading agile. You know, we started leading agile a little over eight years ago. How many years have you been with us now? I think four. Four. So right, I'm we coming were probably up on what fifty-five, fifty-ish, yeah. 50-ish, yeah. yeah. So we're, we're over 100 now. We'll probably be 130, 140 by the middle of next year, I'm guessing. Or this year, I guess, 2019. And like every 15, 20 people, this is like a different company to run. Yeah. How many times have you seen me kind of tweak our, our operating well, That's model? why I'm, we've got an yeah. offsite this weekend. That's why I'm so excited yeah. to see what the show's like yeah. with this many people. It'll be cool. Yeah, so it's interesting, right? So we tweak the operating model constantly because – balancing and making trade-offs between centralized control versus empowerment, what can you encapsulate versus what needs to be um, common, right? How do you deal, how do you build an organization that's dependency free? Yeah. Right. And it's really, really tough. It's really, really tough and it requires constant maintenance. And that's only on an organization that went from 50 to hundred over four years. Yeah. Right. I mean, we work with companies that have gone from 50 to 400 in a year and then went to 1200. Yeah. Right. It's a lot and of change. It's like it's a lot of change and it's a lot of different people and people don't understand. There's not a hypothesis for what that's what that organization looks like as it's going to grow. So it just grows around the people that they hire. Yeah. And those people make the best decisions based upon what they know. And they're not necessarily systems design people, organizational design people. Right. They're just getting the work done. Yeah. Right. And, and it's really easy, right. To do things by brute force to a point. Right. So, so anyway, right. So, so like just these layers, as you start to peel back the onion, you know, there's just a lot of reasons for things to break. And, and so what our general hypothesis is and the way that, you know, we think that this is going to go is that if you can create a, you know, kind of a, um, a relatively risk-free, very measurable approach to change that maybe doesn't guarantee results, but is able to measure results as you go. And then you get that organization over time locked into a kind of a structure governance metrics system that's actually producing. Right. Right. And then you give it a hypothesis for how it's going to grow from there, right? How it's going to change. Like I I like we're starting to see that some elements of this can be sticky and not fall apart when the when the organization yeah you know when the coaches leave the organization. Creates a more stable but, but, environment. But even it. but even still, right? And this is this is going to sound like a, a totally self-serving CEO of a consultancy uh, <laughs> comment to make. But it's like but it's like, but organizations, ours included, require constant maintenance. Yeah. Right? It's and like so, a garden. You have to tend it or you're going to you got You got to tend it, right? Yeah. And so one of, the things that, one of the things that's been part of our large organizations is creating a transformation office. And, uh, and so the idea of a transformation office is going to be the group that um, sustains the changes mm-hmm. after the, the vast majority of our coaches are gone. And, and so the idea is, is that, you know, sure, obviously we'd like to be involved and help guide that transformation office, but, it, but at some point in time, you build the internal capability to be able to sustain and to nurture the changes yeah, on their own that, that you, that you put in and you do them on your own. Right. Yeah. And so it's just, it's just fascinating, man. And so, so again, like, I don't think, 
so maybe like getting back to this 2019 question. <laughs> Finally, um, yes. Well, no, I mean, we're just you know we'll figure we'll probably, we'll put a bow on it now. Maybe we'll crack it open. Put well, a there's a lot there's a lot that right? we can dig into in future podcasts. But I think that the idea of change as the main focus is an important thing. Yeah, so it's kind of like was two things, right? So where do I see 2019? It's like it's like the focus on intermediate states and managing the change yeah. system of transformation, if you will. It might be something that that maybe we talk about explicitly is what does a system of transformation look like? Oh, that's a good how one. Do you hold that, how do you hold that system of transformation accountable? Right? How do you know that it's making the improvements it promises? Right? All that kind of stuff. That's a big thing. And then the other thing that I think that we want to be on the lookout for is, is what are the other communities that the, that the Agile conversation is starting to show up in? So Tim Zach, our chief marketing officer, um, I actually asked him to do some research and to try to figure out where it's going. You know where where these conversations are going. The thing that I think is gonna this it's gonna kind of just suck from a personal perspective, and this has been an evolution over the last ten years. But it's like you know, version one doesn't exist as a standalone entity anymore. Um, you know, rally doesn't exist as a standalone entity. There's just a lot of things are getting acquired. All the indie labels got bought by the majors. Yeah. It's exactly right. It's so it's so I think the agile stuff is going to be there and it's going to be part of the conversation. Um, I could see in the in sooner than later it not being like a thing. Yeah. You know, not being like its own thing. Yeah. Anymore and just kind of getting sucked up. It's kind of like it's kind of like Alistair and crew back in 2001 shook things up, did their job. It kind of went out and just became part of the ether, you know. And so, so yeah, right. So from a, but then there will be a new who, thing. Yeah. Right. Well, so, but as somebody who kind of grew up in that, that, that older thing, you know, it's like, you know, it's kind of, you're going to be sad, like but, one of those people talking about how awesome disco was, you know, <laughs> it, it's already starting to happen. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, like I just like, for some reason, I just, I'm not a big fan of like, and it's nothing personal on Spotify, but like the whole music sharing thing yeah. where you pay $10 a month and you get online. Like I just, it just feels brutally unfair to the artists to me. And I'm not making any moral judgments on anything. It's, it's legal. Like I got it right. No judgment, but it just feels weird. And so I was telling my kid, it's like, it's like for artists I like, I'll buy their album. I do that too. I go buy the just, record just, if I like them. Just, just to because I want yeah. the record. Yeah. And, and my, my 22 year old kid goes, that is such an old man thing to say. <laughs> he goes, you're stuck in your yeah, old technology. You are. And I'm like, I'm like, Man, you're like, get like, me was, my Walkman. Brutal, right? Brutal. <laughs> okay. But you know what I did after that? As I started making a concerted effort to use Spotify and Apple Music more, because wow. I'm like, well, you know what? You know, screw it. If if this is the way it's going to go, right? You know, maybe the artists have to have to figure out how to survive on in the new model, right? What are you going to do with and, all your you know, cassettes, Mike? <laughs> yeah, I actually got rid of physical media a long time ago, right? So I've, I was actually thinking I was cleaning my office out for the new year. And I've got these books all around and it's like, it's like, what am I doing with paper books? Like everything I care about oh, right now is books like Kindle. Are important. You know what I mean? Books are important. Yeah. And they, well, no, they, they, well, they are like what's in the books is important. No, is physical the physical artifacts. media. This is going to be a yeah, separate see, podcast. We're going to save this see, one. As, when your talk kid about, gets older, you're going to have them say the same thing. We're going to talk that, about books my kids and mixtapes. We'll do that in another podcast. <laughs> That'll be a different podcast. <laughs> all right. So, okay, so did, did I actually, after, so we've been talking almost an hour now, have I actually answered your question? You did. Okay, cool. I think so, somewhere in there. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so, cool. But we'll I come think, back to I a think bunch on of this one, 
What? I think it, unless this is just way crazy too long, I think we should just put this one out there unedited. Yeah, I don't it think is going to go anything out. Yep. Okay, cool. cool. But Excellent. thank you, Mike, and Happy New Year, and I will see you tomorrow at the wait, lake. Wait, 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 wait. What? You, you usually ask me some crazy off-the-wall question at the end. Okay. Is, is this is this is this a format change for 2019? No, I was trying. Okay, so I have one, but I, I since you okay. went into the meditation thing, you kind of did all that. So, um, all right. What is the most? What is the last thing that inspired you that, that is totally not related to work? What? So, so the last what that inspired last me? Thing you, that inspired you, like creatively inspired you outside of work. Creatively inspired me. Well, so this is this would be a whole interesting conversation. But I've gotten um, I've gotten really into this guy named Garrett White, who does this program called Wake Up Warrior. If anybody just wants to go look at it, you can look at wakeupwarrior.com. And uh, it's where like a lot of the meditation and the getting in shape and like it's all about being balanced and being holistic. Okay. As a as a businessman, as a married entrepreneur, and uh, and it's, so it's like not something to like go super deep into into a into a the tail end of a podcast from 2019 agile like blah blah blah. But, but it's been super powerful for me in my life. And it's like, just like really getting centered and really focused on what's important to me. Okay. Absolutely life-changing. So, yeah. Cool. This was good. Awesome, man. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Dude. And I will see you tomorrow. Okay. Awesome. Oh, cool. See you tomorrow, man. See you. Talk to you later. Bye. 